It's uh, great uh, to be here with you this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am and didn't hear that, my name's Joe. I'm the campus pastor out at the Ridge. Um, and man, I'm lucky enough to be here two weeks in three. Um, that's, that's really great. And it's actually my fault that I'm here. And uh, it was Matt preached an absolutely wonderful sermon last week. If you missed it, I just really encourage you to go catch it online. So anointed. I think it was a word in season. And at the 6 p.m., I come to the 6 p.m., um, and uh, I was sitting here, and I was hearing Matt preach it, and we are one week behind in a series, so we always one week, so next week the sermon gets preached at the Ridge, um, and I heard Matt preach it, I was just thinking, man, I have to try to preach this at the Ridge, and God is using him, and it's just so anointed, and I just felt in my spirit saying, man, I think Matt needs to preach this at the Ridge, so I went to him afterwards and said, don't make me try to do that. Um, you go ahead, you preach at the Ridge, and, and by default, you guys are stuck with me. Um, but if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we please open them up to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10 is uh, the text we're going to be unpacking and looking at this morning. And while you turn there, let's, let's pray. Lord, we, um, man, it's just an honor to worship you like that. Thanks, Lord, for such a great team that can lead us in, in glorious worship that we can just praise you. Our hearts are overwhelmed by who you are. And this is just incredible, Lord, as we praise you and give you glory, there's just a ministering that takes place in our hearts. Such grace by you. And, and Lord, we pray that um, our worship would not stop there as the word is preached, that we would praise you, your name would be lifted up in it. But Lord, we also ask that you'd continue to minister to us. Uh, speak through us, uh, speak through me, we pray. Um, let the words that I say not be my own, but yours for the glory of Christ. Uh, may you challenge us, help us to live a life that glorifies you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I don't know how many of you are big cycling fans. I'm certainly not. Um, but the Tour de France is on, and I'm a big Tour de France fan. Um, I, I don't cycle. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I think guys will wake up at ungodly hours to do some ungodly things. Um, and so I just, I just don't do that. Um, but I love the Tour de France. I've got fond memories of it. Uh, I remember growing up as a kid, I would run through to my grandparents' room, and I would sit down, and uh, I'd put my clothes, my school clothes, over the heater, getting warm, ready to be put on, and we'd have the Tour de France highlights that would happen on like, SBC3, I think, or one of them, the highlights would be on, and we would uh, watch it together, and I'd support people and shout for people. I had no clue what I was doing, but I grew a love for it, and so now I go home, it's on in, in my adult life, I turn it on, it's on the background, I support, I watch, and my poor wife... Uh, who's not a sports person at all, um, has to watch cycling at this time of the year. But it's just a great thing for me. Um, but when we think of uh, the Tour de France, even if you don't um, watch it or support it or get excited about it, there's a name that usually is synonymous with it. Um, and that's Lance Armstrong, isn't it? When you think of Tour de France, Lance Armstrong, whether you are a cycling fan or not, is what usually pops into our head. Now, 10 years ago, Lance Armstrong was identified with uh, courage, um, endurance, tenacity, an overcomer on the, um, on the bike and off it. He just had this wonderful story in which we loved and enjoyed, and he was this hero as one of the greatest cyclists ever, especially what he had to overcome to do what he had achieved. But in 2012, really, his world came crashing down, and uh, Lance Armstrong was, is no longer identified as a courageous person that has overcome some big things in life, but rather he's identified with being a cheat and a liar. Hey, if you have typing his name on Google, you would uh, see Wikipedia pops up and it talks about Lance Armstrong being involved in the biggest scandal in cycling history. Not the biggest 
uh, champion, not this great cyclist, but rather there's a negative aspect to him. And he lost his identity in a moment. And so what I want to talk about this morning is really just say that, man, we find our identities in times, in earthly things. And I want to show you that when we have our identity in earthly things, that they are extremely fragile and will break. I mean, we can find our identity in in your beauty. You can find your identity in your health. It can be in your career. It can be your resume. It can be uh, your sexual orientation. It can be a family member. It can be a person. It can be an experience. It can be a number of things in which we can find our identity in. But when we place our identity in earthly things, it is fragile, it will be stripped away, and we'll be left with nothing. And so what we're doing uh, for the next couple of weeks, and we're starting it this morning, is we're going to be starting a new series called In Christ I Am, dot, 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 and we'll fill in those blanks. We want to talk about how our identity is found in Christ. So the first sermon that's going to kick off this series is I Am in Christ. I want to show you that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have crossed the line of faith, that your identity needs to be in Christ. You are in him. So have that in mind as we read Colossians 3 verses 1 to 10, because we're going to be uh, trying to answer the question, who are we? Who are we? Let us read. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When uh, Christ, uh, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, that is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of, of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you uh, were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, uh, wrath, um, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." So the very first point that I want to make this morning is that you, we were made to find our identity in Christ. This, uh, we find in the text in verse 10, the climax of that whole text is that this, this phrase that says, the image um, of its creator. Who are we? Well, the whole Bible starts off with this idea that we are made in the image of of God. We are made in the image of our creator. We see this in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over fish of the sea and of the birds of the, uh, of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, the image of God he created, male and female, he created them. Mankind is made in the image of God. It separates us from the rest of all creation. No other creature that is made has the image of God in it. But when God made us, he said, let us make them in our 
image. We bear that. And so what that does, Mark Driscoll will say, what that does is it puts a perspective immediately on where we find ourselves in on the chain of things. First, up top, above us is God. He's creator. He has made us. And what that lends itself to is that we realize he's deserved of praise. We are not equal to him. He is greater than we are, but it also lends itself to us being dependent on God. But we want to notice as well that not only is God above us, but actually what's below us is the rest of creation. The scripture says that we have dominion over, not domination, but dominion. We are to serve and cultivate creation. We are to look after it and make sure it is done better than we're currently doing in society. But what we realize is that when we understand that we are above creation, it gives us a sense of dignity and it gives us a sense of responsibility. So immediately knowing that we are made in the image of God helps us to put things into a good perspective. God is above us. He deserves to be worshipped and followed. Creation is below us, but it gives us a sense of dignity, sense of responsibility. We are important. And when we understand that all of humanity is made in the image of God, it encourages us to seek after to love, to be kind to all peoples regardless of their past. That every human has a value. It does not matter the actions that they have done because they have been made by God in their image. And this has been an encouragement for many to go after and love and love out the most maligned and marginalized of all society. I mean, we heard this morning how there's a woman's prison ministry that's taking place. People who have done horrible things, man, they are valued by God because they are made in his image. And so what we are to do is to pursue after them, to care for them, to love out. This helps us when we get that. But what do we mean by being made in the image of God? Well, it means two things. It means, one, we are to mirror him. Um, like we, to reflect him, we are his image, we are to show the world as humans um, that we are to show his character, so we reflect his kindness, his goodness, his trustworthiness, his honesty, all the characteristics of God, we ought to reflect that in who we are. But it also means that if we are made in his image, that's where our identity lies. Our identity needs to be found in him. Because if we don't understand that our identity as human beings being made in his image is found in God, and we try to find it in other things, life and its purpose and what it's meant to be about, what it's, what it's all about is going to be lost on us. We're not going to achieve what life is all about if we do not know that we are made in the image of God. And unfortunately, this is the very thing that we have struggled to do. As humans, we have struggled always to find our identity in God. Why? Well, this brings me to my second point. We have tried to find our identity in earthly things. And we probably explain why this is the case probably best in Psalm 51 verse 5. David in the Psalm speaks and he says these words, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and, the sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, some theologians would argue that what David is trying to say here is his mother, after having six kids, went and had an affair with someone else, and he was, um, he was born. Now, while that might, you could argue that a lot of theologians disagree. A, a guy named Matt Chan, a pastor of the Village Church in Texas, phenomenal, listened to a lot of his stuff. 
um, he talking about this verse is no, what David is saying when he writes this is at the moment of conception, when life happens, when we bear the image of God, not only do we have the image of God, but immediately our hearts, our humanness, our spiritual side of us, our essence, instead of being bent toward God, it is bent away from him. Instead of being bent to uh, loving and pursuing after God, it is bent toward rebellion. Now, if you have kids, we can give a hearty amen to that, right? I have a 14-month, he's nearly 15 months old, and he has learned over the last couple of months how to throw tantrums. And the one thing about my son is that he gives his best at everything, and all. So he's really good at throwing a tantrum. Now, the other day, we, he loves a set of keys. He loves keys, and we've got a special set in my mother's house for him so he doesn't lose real, actual keys. These are his keys, and he took them, and he normally plays with them. This one particular day, he was taking them, and he was hitting them as hard as he could up against a glass window. Um, and I said, Malachi, and he looked at me, and I said, stop that. And he looked at me, and he went, okay. Just <laughs> like make eye contact and do it. I called him over and I held him. I said, my boy, if you do that again, I want to take away those keys. And so what he did is he went straight back into it. So I took away the keys, followed through, and he threw his arms up in the air and ran a number of steps and plonked himself on the floor and cried. Now, I hadn't asked him to move out. Like I can understand he's like a 14-month kid, come sit here, boy. And there's been a tough time. You're a little bit selfish. Moms and dad are a little bit selfish. I think this, we just need to end this, pack your bags and leave. Like, I can understand that reaction. And where did he learn it from? He doesn't learn that from Melissa and I. Like, he, when I ask for Melissa to get me some juices, and she doesn't, we don't have any, and you can't have any. I don't throw my arms up in the air and plonk. That's not modeled at home. I promise, we're better at this. We're different. <laughs> good. That's a good thing. Man, that's, but where, like, where does he get that from? Man, his heart's. As love as much as he's a sweet, gentle um, boy that likes to share, his heart is bent away from God and not to it. And that very moment we are conceived, before we even have our first breath, our hearts are bent away from God. And we see this in this passage. Um, in verse 5, it gives us two indications of what we go after. We see there's this word evil desire. Now, in the Greek, it has this idea of um, extreme addiction, like this exaggerated craving. It's going after something and you just desperately want someone or something or an experience and you hope to get from it more than it can actually give. You hope to get for it actually what only God can give you, satisfaction that lasts. And so we go after this experience or this person or this thing, hoping if we achieve it or have it, it will satisfy our hearts. But the reality of the matter, it does for a moment. It gives us a bit of happiness, but it's fleeting and disappears. So we have to keep on going back. And it's this craving and the cycle we go in where we go after for satisfaction. But disappointment kicks in regularly and we are despondent. It is something that doesn't last. But the second word that we have is this word idolatry. Um, it says idolatry there. And um, idolatry is essentially us trying to find our image in created things rather than in the creator. We see this, um, uh, this brilliant quote. Um, Tim Keller explains it like this um, in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, idolatry is seeking to establish uh, self and identity in making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness to your relationship. 
See, the script talks about it regularly. He tackles this issue of idolatry. It's a big issue of the heart. And uh, actually, uh, um, uh, oh, never mind. Uh, there's another theologian that will, uh, a guy, Taryn Williams, he comes here. Jeez, I, that, that slipped my mind. Taryn Williams, who, who's preached here a couple of times, who's preaching on, on this text and topic, he even goes so far to say that actually a large part of our hurt and, and the struggles that we experience are because of idolatry. Um, and some of the examples of idolatry that we can find ourselves in and the hurt that comes with it is, we can sometimes put our image and have an idol of people, a particular person. It can be this longing desire that if we could have a spouse or a partner that would love us, man, then we would be satisfied. Then that would be life. And so we get this person and what do we become? We become extremely needy. We become extremely jealous. We become a person that is manipulative and controlling because this person is everything that we need. And what we do is we put a weight on them that is far more weighty than they can handle because we want from a person what only God can give. And so the, if the relation falls apart, man, our world is shattered. Life is gone because they can't handle the neediness that we have. We put our identity in them. Also, the problem that we have is that people are fickle. People are broken. People are sinful. And so we put everything on a person expecting them to satisfy us. Man, they will lie to you. They will disappoint you. They won't live up to your expectation. And then your world falls apart. And there's hurt. Now, might I say that having a partner and a lot of the things that we find our identity in are good things. They're good things given to us by God uh, and His grace. Man, having community in a relationship is a wonderful thing to have. But when we take a good thing and make it God, it becomes a bad thing. And a lot of the things that we think, oh man, this is good. No, no, but you've made it something it is not. It can be, in people, can be a group of people, a tribe that we associate ourselves with. This tribe can be something along the lines of our culture or race. It can be a school, something as simple as that, or a sports team that we follow. It can be our sexual orientation. It can be our wealth and standing in society. It can be the political party in which we follow. This tribe in which we associate with can become an idol in our lives. And when it does, the problem is it becomes an us versus them mentality. We the best, not them. This is where our racism stems from. It's us versus them. And the hostility comes out of that. And we become angry and hateful towards the other group, whatever it might be. And their sin creeps through the door. And we become horrible. And so we need to watch out for this thing of idolatry. It can also take place in things like possessions and money, quite obvious. We can find our identity in that. And the problem with that is that's where our value lies. Not just the amount of money we've got in our pocket, but how we feel as worth as a person lies with possessions, a possession that we have. If we have lots, man, then we can feel valuable. And this is not a rich person thing or a poor person thing. This is a person thing across all we find our value in things. The problem is that we can become smug when we have more than everyone else. We can find high value because someone else has less than us, but when somebody has more than us, man, then we feel like we are not valued enough. We are not good enough like that person is. 
And that's not healthy, not good, and a hurt comes from it. Finances disappear in a moment. Man, the, economy, the economic climate at the moment is really hostile. Money disappears like that. Depending on what cabinet change happens, we can lose hundreds of thousands of rands. It just happens in a moment. And your life and your God and the thing that you have can be shattered. It can be found in work. Things that we do, found duty. It can be work, it can be parenting, it can be ministry, it can be grandparenting, it can be a number of things. And we can find our identity in a sense of duty. And when we do this and we find this thing, what happens is every other thing gets neglected. And we see this particularly in work. We find that uh, spouses, one spouse will suddenly find something that they, satisfies them and they find their identity in. And they pursue after and go at it to the neglect of their other spouse and their children. So their marriage falls apart. Their kids don't love them because they never were there. And it's under this banner of I'm doing it for my family, but instead we are doing it for ourselves. That's where our satisfaction lies. And everything falls apart. We become arrogant and smug. We become people no one wants to spend time with. And you don't have time to spend with people. And my friends, it can also be ministry. It can be something that we say, oh, I'm doing this for the Lord and his kingdom. But we can, our identity can be found in it. We hate it when others succeed. We hate it when others do well because what about my ministry? We see this with great men. A.W. Chosa, John Wesley, men that did many things for the gospel. They were horrible husbands and horrible fathers. They neglected them under this banner of ministry. And hurts and pain comes when we make earthly things what they should not be and we place our identity in them. It should not be the case. But the problem is our hearts are bent that way. And so we know we should not find our identity in these things. What do we do? We keep on running back. We, keep on, we get hurt by it, but we keep on going back. So what's the solution? And this brings me to my next point. God offers a new identity in Christ. The gospel solution is only one solution, and that is Jesus. We see this in verse 9 and 10. Paul says, put off the old self. Having put off the old self, you have put on a new self. Paul calls us to remember who we are. I want you to notice it is a past tense thing that he's talking about. Having put it off, you have put on, is an action that you have already taken. As a Christian, you are new. You are new. It's already taken place. The moment you believed and crossed the line of faith, you became a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is uh, gone, the new has come. You are already new in Christ. Remember it. Hold on to it. We see this phrase in Christ in scripture being one of the primary phrases that is used for your identity. One of the primary ones that is used. It's used over 200 times in the New Testament. And Mark Driscoll, again, he makes this, this comment on this passage, he, uh, on, on this phrase, in Christ. He says, these two words, in Christ, changed the world and are the summary, and are the summary essence and totality of a believer's identity. Simply put, either our identity is in Christ or it is in idolatry. Friends, Believers, 
if you are wanting to have a life that thrives and is victorious for the glory of Jesus, your identity needs to be in Christ. It has to be. You want a victorious life. You want to live all that God has planned for you. It needs to be in Jesus. And my, the sad thing is that I see too many Christians who are defeated. Too many Christians who, whose life is just unable to handle it. Too many Christians, when they hear the task of going out and telling the world about Jesus, like we sang in that last song, like our commission is to go and fill the city of East London with the glory and gospel of Jesus Christ, that we think, I can't do that. Why? Because our identity is not found in Christ. It's not. We need to have our lives in Christ. And I hope it motivates you to have your heart in Christ and your identity in him because there's a life that is victorious waiting for you. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Verse three, Taryn Williams again explains in verse three, man, it gives us this wonderful phrase that explains it. Let's read it. For you have died, and here it comes, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, uh, that is in the present tense. Some of your translations, the NIV will say, your life is now hidden with Christ, with Christ in God. It's a present thing. It is a now thing. Believer, you do not have to wait to get this. You do not have to earn it. This is not a maturity thing that takes place over time to get, and maybe you'll figure this out. This is something that you currently have in Jesus. It's a now thing. Man, isn't that glorious that you have this in Christ now? Not something you have to wait for. And it goes on to give the word hidden, or just hidden. What does hidden mean? Man, Scripture uses that imagery of God hardiness. He hides us under his wing. It's secure. It's safe. That's the imagery that is used here. It is hidden in God. Now, you might think, Joe, I've messed up and I've done some hectic things in my life as a believer. I've lost this identity. I'm no longer in Christ. I have to work for it again. You, you might think, Joe, I've, I've been a believer for, for 20 years and I've never done this. How do I gain this? How do I get it back? I want to tell you it's been safely hidden for, for you in Christ, in God. There. And he is unchangeable. He is sovereign. It's not something he has lost. It's been secure in him all along. It's not gone. It's yours. It's yours. So how do you get it? As I said, you have to do nothing. Man, we, we might and need to repent from those idols in our lives. We must do that. But there's nothing to have it. It is already yours. What you have to do is believe it and live it out. It's coming along and going, God has said this about me, and so I will believe it. Scripture says this in Colossians 3 and 200 other places in Scripture. It says, I am in Christ. So I will believe this and I will hold on to it. I will not let something else define who I am. I am in Christ. That is who I am. That's where my identity is. Don't let a person, a man, a woman define who you are. Don't let those who mock you and ridicule tell you who you are. No, they do not get to say that Christ says that you are in him. 
That's who you are. Don't let your situations, your hardships, your suffering, your sickness, your failures, your past define who you are. You are in Christ. Believer, this is who you are. Your identity is in him. When Satan comes and tempts you to despair and tells you to look at your past and say, look what you have done. This is who you are. You say, no, I am a new creation. I am in Christ. This is who I am. And we need to live from it. Memorize this verse. Let it meditate on your heart. Meditate on it. Think of it. And when that person comes and says something that's not true about you, make sure you keep this in your heart and meditate. Say, no, I am in Christ. When you feel tempted to find possession in a duty, say, no, this, I mean, identity in a duty, say, no, this is and not me, I am in Christ. I am not defined by this. I am not defined by that. I am in Jesus. Let that sink in your hearts. And when we get this, this is my final point. And when we get this, church, man, living out this new identity will transform our lives. We will be changed. We won't be cowards. We won't be fearful. We will live in the boldness of the glory of Christ because we are in him. We see this in in verse uh, 7 to verse 10. We see this radical change that has taken place. We see that Paul says, you were like this. These are the things that you did do. But now that you know who you are in Jesus, you don't do those things anymore. Don't live like that. Live like this. We live like this. And the thing is, if we don't know who we are, we can never live who we are, right? I mean, that's obvious. If we don't know who we are, we can't live it out. But the moment we know who we are, man, then we can start living it out. We, we see this, uh, in a, there's this brilliant, amazing quote by a guy named Neil Anderson. He says this, he says it better than I can. He says, it's been my observation that almost every struggling and defeated Christian has one thing in common, They don't know who they are in Christ or what it means to be a child of God. You see, it is not how we live that determines who we are. It's knowing who we are that determines how we live. Let me say that again. You see, it is not how we live that determines who we are. It is knowing who we are that determines how we live. And my hope for this series is that now we know that we are in Christ we can start grappling with some of the wonderful truths of Scripture of who we are in Jesus. That we are this and we are that because of the glory of Christ and we can live it out. And so the series, we're going to be going, in Christ I am, dot, dot, dot. And we're going to be filling in those blanks so that we might live for all, in all that we are for the glory of Jesus. Here's an example. We won't touch on this one again during the week, but here's just a brief example. In Christ I am a saint. Now, not take the Catholic definition of saint out. We're talking about what the New Testament term, what it means is a, is a, a holy one in Christ. We are a holy one in Christ. What's interesting is if you do a study in, of the New Testament, like a word study, you will find that over 200 times a Christian is called a saint, a righteous one, or holy one. But if you had to do a study of the word sinner, 
it is mentioned over 200 times in the New Testament, it is almost always referring to anyone else other than a believer. So what does that mean? Does that mean we as believers and as Christians are morally superior than to the non-Christians? Of course not. That's not the gospel, right? The gospel says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all are just as equally in need of the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we, by the grace of God, unmeritedly have been saved. Not because we are any better than anyone else. Does it mean we don't get tempted? <laughs> no, I've been tempted this morning. I probably, as talking about temptation, I'm going to feel like I'm going to get tempted. Leave today, I'll be tempted. Later on tonight, I'll be tempted. On the way home, I'll be tempted. And for the rest of the week, I'll be tempted. We as believers get tempted. But what it means... It's this glorious truth that when God looks at you as a person who has over, uh, crossed the line of faith and is a follower of Jesus, he no longer defines you by your sin, but defines you by the righteousness of Christ. Oh, when he looks at you, your identity is hidden in Jesus. You are in Christ. And so what that means for us is that we are not sinners that sometimes get it right in the eyes of God, but rather that we are saints that sometimes get it wrong. Subtle, but man, if we can get this, it helps us fight sin. Because if I think I'm a sinner that barely gets it right, this is my identity, I am this thing, that when sin and temptation comes its way, I feel defeated already. I'm not able, capable, I'm not able to overcome this. I am already a sinner that can't do anything. And so we sin far more often. But when I go, no, I am a saint. This is how God sees me. I am righteous in Christ. That when sins comes its way and it comes knocking on its door, I say, you are beneath me. You are beneath me. Oh man, we mess up, we do. And we sin, we do. But that sin never defines you. What defines you is that you are in Christ who has saved you from that sin and you are a new creation, a saint. Isn't that glorious? Oh, wonderful. It changes the way we live. There's so much more that we have that I feel if we get this man, we will be on mission doing much for the glory of Jesus, living lives that are victorious and living lives that are thriving. Man, doesn't mean life is difficult, not easy. Man, we're going to mean it's going to be difficult. Oh, but whatever, bring it on. As we sung, our God is victorious. He is one. May I say to you, Christian, who's swimming in sin and enjoying it, it's beneath you. It's beneath you. You're far more valuable and worth more. Get out of it. Man, there is a life that is satisfying in Christ. May, may I say to the non-Christian, this is not because we have deserved it or because we've done a jig and a dance, because we've done some ritual and sung a few hymns and songs in a special way. Man, this is given to us purely because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. He has died for us and he has set us free so that we are in him and we are satisfied in him. But the beauty of the gospel is not just for us, it's for you as well. 
The call of the gospel is to come to him and enjoy it. Man, the things that you are trying to find your identity in, the satisfaction that you're trying to find in people, in experiences, in things, man, you know it's in your depth of your heart that you're not satisfied because you keep on needing more and other things and, and desiring to go after it. It does not satisfy. Friend, I want to tell you that it's an offer for you to find true satisfaction in Jesus waiting for you. And all you have to do is come and ask him to forgive you of your sin and find your identity. And immediately you will have a jump start on most of us in this room. You will have a life in Christ, living in that identity. Scandalous grace be given to you. And we're gonna pray. So would you just bow, bow your heads? Just, would you just do some work with the Lord's um, maybe you're just needing uh, him to just identify some things in your heart. Maybe you're just going, Lord, I need to be in you, and I've been trying to find it in this person or in this thing or this experience or this work. Ask forgiveness for that. Ask the Holy Spirit to do work in you, to believe this truth that Scripture has spoken over you. Maybe you don't know Christ. And you're going, I need something like that. Things that I've been going after have left me hurting. Man, I would, I'd, love to, I'd love to talk to you. Um, and so if that's you and you're feeling, I, just, I, need, I need Christ, would you just pop up your hand this morning? Um, I just, just want to pray for you. Great, thank you. you can put your hands down. Lord, we are blown away by this great grace of Jesus Christ. Man. Lord, we don't deserve any of this. There's nothing in us, Lord, that makes us good, but yet you looked upon us with love and sent Jesus to die for us, to remove the sin from us so that we might know you but be in you, enjoy you, Lord, I pray that for us as a church, that we will be a church that is in Christ. Help us, Lord, to, to constantly break those idols down in our hearts. Things that we seek satisfaction from, those people, the praise, the, the achievement. May that just fall away. Let that not be the things that we desire, Lord. May we desire you. I pray for, for those that, that get this and play the heart. Lord, may you give us testimonies that just show the rest of this church. There's life in here. Move us forward, Lord. Help us to live a thriving, victorious life in Christ. Let us not be defeated, we pray. Lord, I pray for those that raised their hand this morning. They're going, I need this Jesus. I've been looking everywhere for satisfaction but, and life and meaning, but I cannot find it anywhere else. I want to try this, Jesus. Lord, would you just uh, move in their hearts? Would you save them? Or would you forgive them? If that was you this morning, just ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask him to become your Lord and your Savior. Ask him to be your satisfaction. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. And that you would learn quickly how to find your identity in him and nothing else. Lord, we are thankful for you moving this morning.
We thank you for your speaking. Let this not just go out our ears. May we not be hearers of the word and not doers. May we do this for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.